Coming up on this final episode of East Screen, West Screen, our podcast comes to a close as we end our nearly four-year run. Kevin prepares for his long, hot summer of film. Paul flees to Utah to hang out with nerds and avoid the NSA. And we look at the film's blind detective and Man of Steel before signing off. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to what is going to be our last episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we have talked about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Saturday, June 30th, about uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, 2013. (laughs) Uh, Not our usual recording time, uh, but we'll get into that in just a bit. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me as always, still in his secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am the guy who who is killing the show. <laughs> well, that's not entirely Hi, Paul, true. We'll, we'll get well. into that uh, in, in just a bit. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. A bit bit tired in the morning. We've got a looks like a a, a typhoon headed our way just in time for the holiday, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, we are on. Uh, <clears throat> we have a holiday here in Hong Kong tomorrow, which is the what do they call it? The Reclamation Day or the Hong Kong Handover Day. Yeah, um, that's the uh, Hong Kong handover commemoration or whatever thing. But mainly for me, it's I call it the, the day of protests. Yeah, the day of pro- Are you going out to march? Yes, yes, yeah. of course. Of course. Um, so this is a day where people kind of go out and and uh, they, they walk in the street and vent ver- various griefs and beefs with the government and uh, those kinds of things. And the rest of us kind of stay inside, watch movies, play games, and, uh, you know, basically have a day off. Those who are less politi- politically inclined to get out into the streets in the hot uh, summer heat. So, uh, but it looks like uh, I don't know. We might get some bad weather if this uh, cyclone blows through. Yeah, um, but I mean, I don't think. I think this year uh, the 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 voices of the people are very strong. This year there are a lot of um, a lot of complaints. There are a lot of uh, 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 grievances, and I think this year might we might have a record breaking number uh, of people on the streets. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh... Pay attention and to to see what the turnout is. But uh, whatever happens, do stay safe and, as always, try to avoid the pepper spray. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this is the show, as I said, where we've been talking about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood over the years, and we've got a couple films that we're gonna finish off with today. And what are those films, Kevin? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about uh, Johnny Toe's Blind Detective, starring Andy Lau and Sammy Chang. And for West Green, uh, we're going to talk about a little indie film called uh, Man of Steel. All right, so we'll get into all of that and a little bit more right after some news. All right, so no real news this week, but the big news for us is that uh, this is our last show the show will be going on a 
mostly permanent hiatus, although who knows what the future may bring uh, for various reasons. But the show is coming to a close in part because of things that are happening in real world. And, uh, you know, if you've been following along with Kevin, of course, you know, he's a mover and a shaker. And <laughs> he's out there rubbing shoulders with... Uh, with stars and celebrities and filmmakers, and he's you know an up and coming guy, not like me, Mister Middle Age, uh, sitting at home watching films with my family. Um, the only but, thing I shake is the salt shaker at home, Paul. The salt shaker, yeah. Well, yeah, well too much salt's bad for you. That's what they say. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are. Um, you know, it's just one of these things that um, is, you know, as as. In my mind, um, as thinking about the things that are happening, um, there have been thoughts, should the show continue, should it go on, um, in, you know, in sort of a solo mode, and I always thought that, well, we started the show as a team, and if the team can't maintain, you know, the, the, the teamness, I guess, there's no I in team, right? Um, we, we started off from episode one together, and so I thought it would be best to end the show together. Um, again, who knows what the future may hold, you know, a year from now, we might be sitting back here in the virtual studio, studio, uh, sending out streams again, uh, anything is possible. Um, but the time has come to, you know, kind of wind down the show as, uh, you know, Kevin has more opportunities to certainly go out and, uh, do things professionally. And, you know, I've got ideas about other things that I might like to delve into as well. Um, but, you know, all of those details will come out uh, much, much later. But uh, it's been a good run. I mean, we've done the show for almost four years. Yeah, what, the first Overheard film? Since? Yeah, yeah. And we, we couldn't uh, close out the trilogy together. Yeah, we started out bad. on... And, and um, it's, it's, it's kind of ideal because we started off with, um, you know, with, with uh, um, some, some solid Hong Kong cinema films. And, you know, just in the last four years, I think we've seen a decline in the industry and a rise in the number of uh, mixed mainland Hong Kong productions and more and more straight-up mainland productions coming into Hong Kong. We've had a, a much smaller pool of films to choose from uh, for East Screen, and our focus has primarily been on Hong Kong cinema. That's how we kind of started out. Um, that's my passion, although you know I do like, like and appreciate other forms of Asian cinema, and we've covered some stuff uh, from Japan and from Korea and other places for our East screen films. Um, but the, you know, the dynamics of the industry is changing and we've, you know, changed along with it, uh, as we've gone on. And I've certainly learned a lot. And, uh, Kevin's, you know, been a solid co-host in terms of bringing to the table, lots of data and information and news stories. Um, so I think we've had a good run and in terms of podcast histories, we're certainly nowhere near you know, the length of many podcasts. You've had podcasts going on since before the millennium that are still running. Um, but you've had other podcasts that have faded out after a year. Um, so, I'm, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of in the mix if we think of things in Star Trek terms, right? Uh, a little bit longer than the original series, not quite <laughs> as long as The Next Generation or <laughs> DS9 or Voyager. So I think I'm very proud of what we've achieved here. I mean, I should just go straight into why, why I, we were ending the podcast. I think I know it's, it's mainly because of me. Um, so uh, I would just say, I mean, as you know, you guys know, last week I started joining uh, Film Business Asia. And I'm official, officially part of that team as the Greater China Correspondent. So with, you know, professional 
journalism uh, or professional journalist label attached to me, there are some things that, you know, that shouldn't be done. And that includes uh, um, um, having an opinion about certain films, especially if I'm going to be dealing with uh, um, as a dealing with them as a, as a objective professional uh, professional journalist. So that's that's essentially why I can't um, I won't be doing the show anymore. But I mean, um, of course, Paul, there, there's always chances that I can come back and I'm free to talk about news uh, and I'm glad to talk more about news. And after all, actually, Paul has always been been, you know, uh, knowledgeable about about the reviews and stuff. And, uh, you know, and uh, I've always kind of been a news kind of guy. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think I think I don't think Paul Paul. I don't think. OK, first of all, we're not feuding. Me and Paul, we're not feuding. No, certainly not. Right? <laughs> yes. We're not like some uh, 70s rock band. Uh, we're not we're not, you know on cocaine and and you know feuding we just uh yeah there's always chance for me and paul to continue uh in another form but um yes i think we've had a very good run i think uh i just think that we're one of the most solid and one of the few you know asian or specifically hong kong uh cinema podcasts out there and i think that we covered a very very um much needed uh how do I say? Very um, good niche. I think we had a very good niche, and uh, we've had a very loyal group of listeners um, who fo- who followed us over the couple, last couple of years, and uh, and it'd be great if they can they can keep keep uh, keep track of us with whatever we do in the future. That includes a few possible future podcasts. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. This is not you know for those of you out there thinking yeah, uh, Kevin has been stealing all the groupies <laughs> um, or something like that. No, it's it's not true. Um, and you know, I have to steal these groupies. we, we still do have a movie group kind of, you know, here in Hong Kong and we go out to see movies. We just went out and saw one yesterday, in <laughs> fact, and we're going to talk about it. And that is something that, um, uh, we hope to be able to continue, uh, going forward. Um, and, uh, that, uh, you know, of course, our love of be- movies be- has not diminished at all. For sure. Yeah. Before we did, before we did the podcast, we were first movie group friends. Yeah. So, and we'll continue to be, and, and yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll be always be, keep, we'll keep in touch with everybody through Facebook. I mean, I think I I should keep the, uh, podcast, uh, um, the podcast page, uh, Facebook, uh, open at least for, for the, you know, at least for a foreseeable amount of time. And I'll try to be, instead of sharing our episodes, I would try and share more news items or yeah. Paul, if you have anything for me to share, I can throw it up there. Sure. It includes, you know, techie news, geek news, anything that's essentially what we cover on the show. We'll just end up covering on the Facebook page. Yeah. And um, well, I'll talk a little bit more about this as we close out the show, but the website, uh, Comcast.com, is not going anywhere. And as I said, I've been bouncing around some future project ideas that hopefully I'll be able to work on during the summer and get something rolled out before the new school semester gets started. And any future work that I'm doing will still be going through the Comcast.com domain. Um, so that will still be sort of the hub for whatever creative works um, tend to come out. And and as Kevin mentioned, uh, you know, we've been discussing some ideas, and I certainly hope to keep him involved um, with whatever work it is that I end up doing. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the status <clears throat> of things. Again, uh, we're not feuding. We're not getting divorced or anything like that. <laughs> um, and so it's all good, and we've we've appreciated uh, everybody's feedback and support. But again, I'll touch on more of those points at the end of today's show. So, now, so can I go? Uh, can I go on the Facebook page and put us on like a, in an open relationship status? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. If okay. you've seen the what is it? The cover of the New Yorker, right? With uh, is it Bert, like, Bert, Bert, Bert and Ernie. Ernie? Yeah, there we yeah. go. 
I, I for what I mean, I'm from San Francisco, so you know, I'm all for that yeah. uh, the issue, and I'm very happy that uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the Sesame Street episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on and talk about our final films. All right, so um, as we said, we're kind of wrapping things out on a high note uh, with uh, very fortunate too, in fact, because uh, we actually had a preview screening or an advanced screening here in Hong Kong of this film. It's not due to open for a couple weeks, and I was afraid I was going to miss it, so we kind of jumped at the chance to work this in rather than ending uh, with an episode that focused on badges of fury, <laughs> World <laughs> War Z. Um, so, and that is the latest from Johnny Tone Waikafai, Blind Detective. A film that's been a little bit divisive in uh, Hong Kong cinema circles, and as it's gotten some festival play overseas already, and uh, not all of the critics have loved this film, uh, but we're going to give our take on it. So, Kevin, why don't you start us off and give us a quick synopsis and your thoughts? Yeah, sure. Uh, Blind Detective is the latest collaboration between uh, Wai Kafai and Johnny Toe, and also um, the first uh, collaboration between uh, the first team up, I guess, the, between uh, Andy Lau and Sammy Chang in what? How many years, Paul? Uh, like eight years? Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last film, the last film together was um, 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 Yesterday Once More. Uh, so I mean, they, they, I guess the two stars then got way too. Uh, Way too expensive, and and you know this were this wasn't any uh, opportunity to put them together again. But they're back, and it's a romantic comedy. It is. I mean, it looks like okay. It looks like a detective film, but it's actually a romantic comedy, right? Um, so I'll go into the plot a little bit, and tell you why. Um, the film starts out in uh in the middle of a case. Um, it's it's kind of like the 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 film version uh of the uh, asset phone case in Hong Kong. Uh, a detective, um, a female detective, or a cop named Ho Ka Tong, is uh, walking the street, and and uh, essentially the cops are staking out, and then they run into um Johnston, Johnston, that's his name in in subtitles. Johnston, played by Andy Lau, who uh, a blind. A uh, former detective who now relies on um, um, solving cold cases uh, to for the bounty from the cases. Uh, that's how he makes his living. Uh, but uh, but uh, his his friend Sito Fabo, played by Guo Tao, who is uh, actually the like the chief inspector or a uh, um, yeah chief inspector of the of the of the police. They, they he he has a thing about following him and then and then always intercepting his cases so that Johnston wouldn't get the bounty. So there's a l- interesting little feud there. But anyway, after the um, acid case, Hokatong meets Johnston, who who essentially is kind of like her idol. Um, and there's a little very interesting kind of a continuation uh, of theme from Romance and Thin Air, where the Sammy character meets an idol, and and that's how a relationship starts. Um, uh, she enlists his, his, his help in cracking a uh, cold case in her life. Uh, it's the appearance of an old friend named Minnie. Um, so he, he, she offers him $1 million to solve the case. Um, and meanwhile, um, so while Johnston uh, kind of strings her along, uh, um, he also takes her along to um, solve other case, other cold cases. Um, essentially using her help because she's very phys- physically she's very agile but she has no brain for crime solving and while he's blind he has a brain for crime solving so they so together make this great team and solving multiple cold cases along the way even though um, uh, uh, Sammy essentially or sorry Hokatong essentially paid him to solve her case um, 
but he he's very much um, focused on other cases. Uh, so that's essentially the, the structure, of the story is these um, these multiple cases along the way. Um, but it always goes back to that main case, um, uh, the mini case, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that that rear structure uh, in a little bit. But yes, this is a madcap detective film that only White Car Fight can do. Um, the film it runs runs 130 minutes, um, and there, I can count at least. Four cases being solved in this film, I think. I'm not sure if my count is right. Paul, you have to. So while I keep talking, count, Paul, you, you can count and see if I got this right. But yeah, the script is really bloated. There's way too much story here. Um, I, I think many critics says there are enough plot lines for about three movies here uh, thrown into one. Um, but I really love the sheer energy of it. Um, the film really just takes you. I mean, the core thing is about the relationship between Johnston and Hokatong, but it it also kind of jumps along. It also makes like it feels like about four episodes of a TV series, uh, thrown into one film. So yes, it's really bloated, and, and the film really runs way too long. But um, there's an energy that kind of carries it through. It's really, you know, it's never boring. It's very entertaining. Um, there's a lot of comedy stuff, but it's it's going to be a very exhausting film for some people. Um, this, this is my second viewing of the film. Uh, my first viewing was in Cannes, and it was 12.45 in the morning, and the film was so exhausting that it pit... I, I watched it with three other people, and two of the other, two of the people in that group also fell asleep, along with me, at different spots. So it, it's a very exhausting film to watch. Even on, on my second viewing, it, it felt kind of uh, taxing to, to sit through. But, you know, it's so entertaining that... Um, I know that I know that a friend of ours said that it's it's really a chore to sit through, but actually it isn't because you know it rolls through all these cases so quickly and there's so much going on that you keep uh, paying attention to everything, keeping track of all the things that are happening that it, it, you can't really say that it's it's a it's a it's difficult to sit through because your your attention is on the film at all times. Um, but everyone is acting on overdrive, like everyone's on speed. Uh, Andy Lau is kind of a... Johnston is kind of like a douche, douchebag kind of character. He's not really a typical Andy Lau character. Uh, he's not like the super heroic detective. He's just um, a very arrogant guy who, who you know, can handle about his loss of his abilities. And... Um, and he's very much uh, still the arrogant cop that he was uh, before he was blind. So his, he has a very um, bad attitude to 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 uh, his co-star or his partner. Um, and, it's a, it's, and it's a very um, energetic Andy Lau performance. I mean, you know, the nice word would be energetic, but the 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 the, the negative uh, connotation would be he overacts. Really, uh, Sammy is still doing the cute voice at parts, and it feels like she's getting a little old for it, but. Um, Sammy fans will probably like it very much. Um, uh, but it is Sammy Sammy and Andy's best pairing since needing you, I think. I think the film really, um, you know, yesterday once more, you know, there's a, that, that, that potential that they're playing this uh, uh, golden age Hollywood era kind of um, feud couple, feuding couple that never really panned, uh, panned out, I think. Um, and Alpha Magic Kitchen was one of they only had the two scenes together and Love on a Diet they were kind of overshadowed by the makeup and, and the silly humor but I think Needing You is where the chemistry starts and I think Blind Detective kind of brings that that is, is that pairing back or it, it reminds us again why they're so good together and I really love them and I think they're really match, matched here um, I'm not saying that they gave good performances um, I'm just saying that their chemistry really you can tell that the chemistry never really went away even though it's been eight years and the film is uh, and the, the marketing campaign uh, for the last month or so 
before the opening has been has that emphasis on their chemistry, and I think rightfully so. This is not a crime thriller. This is not an action film. This is not a typical Johnny really serious Johnny Toe film. There's a lot of a lot of violence. It's a very violent film. There's a lot of um, grisly stuff that's very very dark. But at the same time, it's actually really a comedy. Um, so I think you have to really have to go in with expectation. You're not watching a thriller. You're really watching a romantic comedy um and you really and you're watching for andy Lau and sammy chang that makes everything go down easier i think um and i love that, that it's taking people by surprise even now um you know certain uh, certain sets pieces um are, are really great um i i think i didn't i didn't expect people to really laugh as much as, as i we we heard yesterday at the, at the at the cinema but it seems like hong kong people are really enjoying it except especially certain set pieces uh there's a more a sequence in a morgue that I'm not going to spoil about about 20 25 minutes in that that I think really is the centerpiece of the film where really is the the kind of the brilliant uh the most brilliant part of the film um the sequence where they recreate a crime and go back and forth and back and forth and I think I think it's hilarious and I think it's really one of the best things that best sequences set pieces Johnny Toast done uh in a while and even though you know of course, uh, Johnny Toe has, has a great talent for set pieces, and Drug Wars has several set, great set pieces, um, and Blind Detective has that really great set piece as well. Um, like like Paul said in his intro, uh, it, it's going to be a very divisive film. Um, some people are really going to hate it, and I don't blame them for it. Like um, we were talking before the show, Derek Ely on Film Business Asia really hated the film, gave it a two out of ten. But um, another friend of ours, Maggie Lee from Variety, gave, uh, said that it's one of the best. Uh, at least she said on Twitter that it's a really, really great uh, romantic comedy. Um, so seems like, yes, people, some people will love it, some people will hate it, and I think I can understand either side. Um, for me, I think if we're going to talk about another Milky Way film in comparison, I think it's like Wu Yan. Um, and I know some people really love Wu Yan, but personally, I, I thought it was really exhausting the first two times. I think, um, actually, I think Wu Yan is the last Milky Way film to run over two hours. So, so yes, it, it's, it's like Uyan, where it's really exhausting to watch. There's way too much story, way too much going on. It's way too um, episodic. But then after you watch it those first two times, you know what's, what's coming. Um, it really improves on repeat viewings. It really kind of, once you know what's going on, just kind of going back and reviewing these uh, set pieces or reviewing the comedy and reviewing these, these jokes. Um, it, then I think that's when it, and that's when it will um, uh, really... Um, you really kind of start liking it, and I think it will be really good on subsequent viewings. So, so um, you really have to get through those first two viewings first before you start enjoying the film. Uh, and I have a feeling that uh, that's going to happen for me. So I think I will buy the the video release later on. Um, but seriously, the actors need to read up the entire film. Um, I thought it was a problem when I heard it in Cannes, and it was much bigger problem yesterday. Um, the audio is always peaked. Everyone is screaming on top of their lungs, and and the voice levels are really bad. So actually, it's quite a loud film, and not because of sound effects, but because everyone is screaming. So, you know, this is not a small budget indie. This is a film with a U.S. ten million dollar budget that was shot for over the course of like ten months. So it's not like they didn't have time to improve it. So I know they were in a rush to get the can, but they had an extra month and a half to to fix the film, and and um, they'll have another three, four months to fix the film for a home video release. So I really hope they, they fix the sound mix before this movie goes out on video. Um, for now, I think the, the technical quality of the film is kind of lacking, um, especially the, uh, the video master and also uh, the voice, the voice levels. Um, and it's kind of a shame because this is, this is one of uh, Milky Way's uh, 
more expensive film. It's a very expensive film to make because of the stars and and just you know be, that's why they needed um, a second a second investor, uh, Emperor Films, to 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 sign on. Um, so I hope that they go back. They have the money and they have the time to go back and, and kind of fix some of the technical uh, I- issues with the film. But otherwise, I I still. Even on second viewing, I still like it. I mean, some of my thoughts that I had in my first um, first viewing can still hold. That it's still really uh, bloated. It's still really too long. It's 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 um, exhausting to watch. The the plot is the story is kind of a mess, but it's very Hong Kongish. It's very Hong Kong cinema. The jump in tone and and I think um, it's something that Hong Kong cinema um, enthusiasts or fans, I think they will find something to like in it. Uh, although yes, they will not outright like it 100% but they will still find something to like in it so um yeah I say I say see it Paul yeah I think um you know I I've always preferred these kind of films coming from Toe and and Waikafai these um you know films that are much more Hong Kong centric in many ways and more um not not always just a romantic comedy, but at least more lighthearted, I would say. Yeah. Um, these films are much more along my my sense of of taste and enjoyment. So, and and I've always enjoyed the chemistry between um, Andy Lau and Sammy, and they kind of return to the roots of that here, which I think is great. It's it's a nice uh, it's a nice return for me, and and I appreciated that. It's certainly for me better than the last two films. Uh, which would be drug war and uh, romancing in thin air, which we've talked about on previous shows. Um, it's interesting that you you bring up some of the parallels between this and, and romancing in thin air. I think it feels, in many ways, like it's pulled pieces from the previous a, a lot of their previous bodies of work. Um, you've got, for example, Andy's character has this thing with food, right? Uh, he's had kind of as a, has a food fetish, which is kind of weird, but kind of works. And, it, you know, it's a little bit of a throwback to sort of love on a diet. Um, there's this whole uh, running narrative of this character, Minnie, who um, is a, you know, was a secondary school friend of uh, Sammy's character and becomes sort of the central plot motivator for the reason for these two characters coming together and working together. And she has this personal background um that's you know kind of tragic and but is also reflected in some ways in a humorous way and they parallel some points between something that her grandmother does and then later something that you learn that she does um and that you know uh, that kind of parallel that kind of uh narrative structure with regards to fate and things kind of threw me back and reminded me a lot of running on karma and some of the ways that they worked with structure in that film. Um, but yeah, I do agree that this is, you know, much more akin to something like Needing You. Although in the detective scenes, which I really liked, where sort of Andy's character is working out, um, going through the case, sort of re- retracing the steps. And the way he does that, I don't want to spoil that because I think it's one of the more interesting aspects of the film. But that has some parallels in some ways to Mad Detective. Um, and so the film, because of that, I think can feel a little bit uneven at times. Um, like it's not sure, uh, what footing it wants to find itself on. Sometimes it's like over the top crazy and silly. And other times it's like suddenly very dark 
Um, yeah. And you're not really sure, you know, should you be laughing? Should you be, um, you know, should you be upset by what you're seeing? These kinds of things. I mean, nothing overly terrible in terms of, you know, it's not a, it's not overly gory or anything like that, but there's just some things that kind of throw you for a loop. And running and running on karma did that um, initially as well. And I remember, as I've said before, I didn't really like running on karma with the first viewing, but on subsequent viewings, I really came to love it over time and the way it, it kind of pushed genres. I think this is trying to do that too, maybe not as even handed in its approach though. Um, Cause there it's, it's, it's a much longer film and it's going on um, perhaps a bit too long with some of the set pieces. Um, it, I think it doesn't know how to handle um, some of the issues that it's trying to convey. There's, for example, this uh, this whole sequence that's kind of set up and it just plays out very weirdly and there's not a lot of explanation or not a lot of follow-up because it seems to be like this really big thing, uh, this really big case that they've been following and it has a very strange kind of conclusion that leaves me asking a lot of questions about it, like, you know, how how can this guy kind of be out here where he's at? And then, um, you know, and it seems like it's building to this point where they're trying to set up this this somewhat forced set piece because the one character is blind and there are certain things that he can't do, but then he's forced to do. Um, but you have the supporting cast of regulars, you know, that you see in tow films that show up in various roles. Um, so that's something to look forward to if you tend to like Johnny Toe movies, seeing, you know, who's going to be taking up which kind of crazy roles. And you do get some, some interesting casting in, in some places. Um, but I would say that, uh, my one disappointment is with the dubbing as well. And that's because Guotao is, um, as, uh, his friend and sometimes rival, uh, the police chief, uh, Sito, I think... You know, um, I understand why they dubbed him into Cantonese, but the actor they used is a TVB actor. Evergreen Mac. Yeah, you've probably seen him in, like, some of the Chinese New Year movies and stuff. He His voice is very recognizable. Yeah. Know? I mean, almost as much as somebody like uh, Chang Tatmeng or uh, Chapman Toe, maybe not to that same level, but it it kind of pulled me out whenever he was speaking, and I kept thinking to myself... You know, Guotao is such an iconic actor. Why not just let him speak Mandarin? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Guotao is not an iconic actor. Well, but his... his no, the, he's just yeah, a, he's a comedy he, actor. He's not iconic. Well, but he has a very specific comedy style, and his voice goes along with that. And when you dub him, it takes that away. You know, it, it, takes, it, it's, it, it takes away part of his comedic performance. And I get that he's supposed to be a Hong Kong character, so he's supposed to speak Cantonese, but if that's the case... Don't cast him because yeah. you've 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 just kind of limited him by bringing in, you know, somebody to dub him. Get somebody else who if the character's supposed to be a Hong Kong character and supposed to be speaking Cantonese because of his, of his relationship with Andy's character, then put somebody else in that role to do that. Don't make this a thing where well we'll put a famous or semi-famous mainland actor here to get more mainland play. Uh, it, that kind of really annoyed me because I think I like watching Guotao do what he does in Putonghua. And there are other characters in this film who speak Putonghua and they don't dub them. And people, you know, they kind of do channel switching, which is fine. And I know we've gone on this rant before. And it would have been fine here too. You don't need to explain it away anymore, right? I mean, the handover is already 
behind this. What is it? The tomorrow is what? 13 years, right? No. Shall, yeah, shall uh, I bring back, shall I bring uh, back Johnny Toe's quote? From... No, anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my little little rant. Because I liked their relationship. They had this weird relationship, and but I think it worked. And, um, you know, he smoked cigars, which was cool. <laughs> um, and also the film does bounce around. You know, it goes from Hong Kong at some points to Macau, uh, into China. And so I think that if you're going to make it sort of in that kind of international scope, you can be a bit more flexible with the language um, as it is. But um, other than that, I think I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I was excited about it when I heard people saying it's not what they expected. Because uh, what I was expecting was a, something perhaps a bit more along the lines of Mad Detective, which was much more stark and serious. And I appreciate that this film is a little bit more in my wheelhouse in terms of the kinds of things that I like. So I give it a strong recommendation. If you've liked Love on a Diet, if you've liked uh, uh, Needing You, if you've liked um, some of the other comedies that they've done, um, there's going to be something here that you'll you'll enjoy. I think much more so, so than a lot of their more straight-up serious work. So I say see it. Right, what was Johnny's quote that you were talking about? Oh no! He said that uh, Hong Kong's been part of Ch- Hong Kong's been part of China for uh, since 1997. So why do people still get so hung up on the idea of Hong Kong cinema? You don't you don't ever talk about Shanghai cinema. So why get get hung up on one city's cinema, or is it identity? Well, I'm, I'm, it's not the identity point so much. It's the let the actor use his own voice. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I see what you mean, but. Um, you know, it's clear that Johnny Toast sees something in Guotao and wants him to be part of his, you know, quote unquote troop, especially of his movement to the mainland. And um, no, I think it's cool that he brought these people from drug war that, you know, that he liked working with and brought them back, including uh, Gavin Yuan from Don't Go Breaking My Heart and, and Guotao. And, you know, he's recognizing mainland talents that can fit his films. And I think it's uh, whatever for me is whatever works. Right. Uh, it's not like the first time he's dubbed people uh, who don't speak Cantonese. Like Andy On is always du- was dubbed in Mac Detective by Soi Chang. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, and, and Hong Kong, you know, we used to not even get to hear Tony Lun's original voice in films or Chiron Fat's voice or Andy Lau's voice. So for me, it's like, okay, yeah, if I, w- if I could get used to watching movies back then like that, okay, I could get used to it. Yeah, but, you know, that was then, this is now, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of their next movie. <laughs> all right i think that's uh that's uh enough for our discussion of a uh, blind detective so let us move on and talk about something super East Green, West Green. all right so for our final west screen film uh for our podcast we're gonna talk talk about the also divisive and somewhat uh, controversial film man of steel um so this is the uh latest uh superhero film uh, that's uh, trying to sort of reboot uh the dc franchise into something that will be much more akin to the marvel franchises um there's been attempts to try and you know sort of bring the characters of uh the iconic characters of people like batman and superman and refresh them and kind of follow in the footsteps of what Marvel's doing, although um, arguably they haven't been as successful in, in, in getting that kind of a project off the ground. Um, but this is the latest staple in the DC film franchise, Man of Steel, which reboots 
the character of Superman. <clears throat> so this is coming from uh, director Jack's, uh, Zack Snyder, excuse me, and produced by Christopher Nolan. And I think that that pairing had a lot of people excited, uh, especially based on what Nolan did with the Batman franchise. And I think that uh, on some levels, they found success. So basically, this is the origin story of Superman. And uh, what you get here is you get, uh, if you've seen, for example, the original uh, Christopher Reeves film, or you've read any of the comics, you know the, the story. Um, young Kryptonian baby sent from the dying planet Krypton uh, to Earth, and in Earth's environment and under our yellow sun, he is super powerful. He is Superman. Um, in this case, uh, one of the things that happens is that the um, uh, rebel military leader, General Zod, um, and some of his followers who attempt a small coup to take control of the government but initially fail, um, they are freed from captivity, and they end up following uh, Kal-El, the Kryptonian name of uh, Superman, uh, to Earth, and <clears throat> they're trying to recover this thing known as the Codex, um, which is kind of a thing. It's there. It's an important sort of plot component, but it's just a thing they're after. Ultimately, they're after Superman. And so um, as they come to the planet, it becomes clear that they have more on their mind than simply um, capturing Superman, that in fact they want to sort of um, terraform the planet and use it to their own ends. So uh, it's left to Superman as the most powerful being on Earth to try and stop them. So very typical, simple sort of comic book plot. Um, in some ways, uh, we could say this film compares to uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, right? Because it's it's a reboot, but it's also a different vision but it's also a vision that was based on another film vision, right? Um, <clears throat> and so while Star Trek is based on an earlier Star Trek franchise and a TV series, here you have uh, Man of Steel, which is also building on, you know, the Superman film and Superman 2 and characters that appeared there and giving it a different vision. Now, anytime you do that, there are going to be groups of people who don't like it for various reasons, and that's to be expected. But there are a couple things that are different about this Superman that I think um, have some fans legitimately concerned and, you know, griping uh, about different things. And, and I won't spoil anything about the film uh, here, but I will try to touch on those ideas as loosely as I can. Um, now, personally, I've not read a Superman comic since shortly after the death of Superman arc, which was back in the 90s. Um, and... That was one of the things that um, kind of made me quit reading comics because they, you know, built this whole thing up and I thought, oh, you know, they're they're going to end this character and, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see, you know, where they go. And, of course, in my naivete as a comic book reader, um, I didn't realize that, of course, they were just going to fool me and ultimately bring the character back as they always do with the villains, you know. Um, so my, my thought that this was going to be something, you know, new and unique and daring proved to be wrong. And so very soon, soon after I stopped reading uh, DC Comics and Marvel Comics and I moved on to reading things like manga and things that actually had an ending. Um, so I'm not really up on 
you know, I know they've had a lot of uh, reboots and Infinity Crisis and stuff that's going on, and I'm not up on all that stuff. I've kept up loosely with conversations people have had about the character over the years, but my investment as a Superman comic book fan is very, very low at this point, you might say. Um, I, But I do think that um, despite that, um, you know, even though I do have some exposure as a comic book fan in the past, I still like this for this film uh, a lot more than than many people uh, that I've listened to and, and talked with. Um, it does have some nice, nice references to other Superman media uh, characters and movies. There are things that you can pick up on. There are, you know, little homages to the original Superman film in places. There are homages to the comics. I know there are some homages in parts to um, Smallville, the long-running TV series. Uh, I think, what was that, on the WB? And um, I think that if you're a Superman fan those little bits of fan service will be nice and, you know, things you can pick up on. Um, there's also some weird things. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, uh, you know, the film kind of starts off in world's deadliest catch territory, <laughs> um, which I guess, you know, that's a thing that people like and it's a popular reality show and it's just kind of a weird place for a Superman film to kind of um, build build from. I don't know. Um the thing about Superman here is, the, I think the character, uh, Henry Cavill, comes in and, and brings a lot to the character. Um, there's, of course, going to be a lot of comparisons between this Superman and the Christopher Reeves and the Brandon Routh Superman. Of course, he's lost the red underwear. Uh, people have joked that he's got them on the right side of his pants now. Um, but uh, for me, <clears throat> the character looks visually... I mean, Henry Cavill really built himself up for this role. And he looks the part. I mean, he looks like how physically perhaps we should see Superman uh, looking. Um, even, you know, go back to the old, like, black and white George Reeves uh, TV spots and things. And, uh, you know, not a person who really looked like he was very physically powerful. Um, but Cavill looks physically powerful. And he looks great in the role. Um, but somehow this Superman, I don't think, is heroic enough. In terms of, of some of what he does, I think we need more heroism from this character on a variety of scales. We see some really big hero moments in places, but, you know, Superman also has sort of smaller moments. Um, it's not always about the big the big moment for him, you know, and I think that's a, a small shortcoming of the film. Uh, another divergent point for this film for a lot of people is Lois Lane. Uh, who this time is played by Amy Adams. I think I'm in the the camp of slight disappointment. I'm I'm not completely dis you know disappointed with her, but she just didn't feel like Lois to me. She felt like I don't know a character. Um, she just I don't know never came across as how I've always envisioned Lois or seen her portrayed in other films or when I've read about her the, the character in the comics how I've kind of viewed her. Um, and perhaps it's because of the actress Amy Adams and the roles I typically associate with her that's part of the problem. Um, but I do think that the strong part of this film is the Superman family relationship. It's really good, perhaps the strongest part of the movie, and I still needed more of that, even though this film is two hours and, you know, like two hours and 20 minutes. Um, I really wanted to have more of the 
the stuff with him and Diane Lane as the mom, uh, Ma Kent, and uh, Kevin Costner as Pa Kent, and and I wanted a lot more of that. Um, I really liked the way they shot those moments, uh, some of the flashbacks. I really liked, you know, it's it's a lot of typical, you know, parents of superhero kind of moments that we've seen in films like Spider-Man and other films. But I think they they could have gone further with it. I think that there was more material that they could have touched on. And maybe that'll be something that they would do in a sequel, perhaps. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, the action scenes were good. Um, but sometimes it's hard to see what's going on um, because you've got people flying around at super speed, punching each other through buildings and things, and sometimes it's just too fast to keep up with, and there's a lot of it. Um, but overall, it was you know very well done. I think the you know in terms of the action, it's it holds up well. It feels like this is what a fight with superpowered beings on the level of Superman should look and feel like. Um, the one thing I'll say is that the final battle, <clears throat> the smackdown in Metropolis with um, hmm. Zod is good, but what I really felt Zack Snyder wanted to do was a film where Superman was fighting Doomsday, the interstellar being that actually almost kills Superman in the death of Superman arc. That was a sort of a smackdown, drawn out, you know, punch through buildings battle that destroyed big parts of the city in the comics, and I kind of... As I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this is like a doomsday fight. Um, and I'm wondering if they chose to go with Zod because it's a more known character in the, you know, the, the, the Superman universe. And it's known to people who have at least seen the Superman films, the originals, but not read the comics. Um, whereas Doomsday is kind of, you know, people, in the, people know him from the comics, but to the general public, that would be sort of this weird alien being who would be perhaps not very recognizable to a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> so that's what it felt like. It's still, you know, uh, a good a good, uh, a good, good fight, I would say. But there's no line, right? If you see in the Superman 2 film, I mean, the, the iconic moment, Terrence Stamp, you know, saying the classic line, Kneel before Zod, you know. I kept waiting for that to come up. And I'm just, you know... If if anything stands out in the original over this, it's that characterization. <laughs> um, there is a controversial ending. Uh, to be honest, I was kind of okay with it, but I think it could have been structured better. Um, you know, it's if you think of it, and again, throwing it over to Star Trek terms, kind of like the no-win scenario. And, you know, what would Soups do when faced with that choice? Um, and I know that some people have a very strong uh, opinion on that. And I was okay with the way it played out. I, I think they could have had more of an aftermath for that, though. Um, but overall, you know, even though it, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like 100% like a Superman character. It's more like, oh, uh, this is Kal-El, you know. Uh, this is the Kal-El movie, which is okay. Um, and perhaps they, this is something they can build on if the film does well enough and they do sequels. Um I asked the question, does this film fit within Christopher Nolan's uh, Batman universe? You know, is this something, if they were going to go the Avengers route and try and merge these characters somehow, would it work? I'm not sure if it would. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it is a big summer action film. 
good for sitting down for two and a half hours and eating a lot of popcorn and drinking a lot of Coke and then regretting it later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd say still a see it. Kevin? Um, first of all, I mean, I guess people who listen to the show knows that I'm not a comic book fan or not a huge comic book fan. Um, I've never even seen the Superman films. I saw Superman Returns. That's the only Superman film I've seen. So I have no fanboy bone to pick here. Um, honestly, Paul, would you, would you have rather they do like kind of a half Smallville type of film and then go into, you know, the more typical uh, Metropolis uh, story kind of film? Or would, do you like this here? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just wanted more Smallville, I think. I wanted, yeah. I wanted more I wanted more of him with his family. I wanted more, specifically, more scenes with Diane Lane and more scenes with Kevin Costner. Whether they yeah. did them, you know, initially on his arrival or they did them as flashbacks, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the thing that I left the cinema longing for. Yeah. Honestly, I, th- I thought the, the story structure uh, is a little weak. I know that because um, they're playing with an origin story that you know a lot of people know already, so they didn't want to tell a straightforward story. But here, they spent 20 minutes on Krypton. It's 20 minutes where Carl or Clark Kent even shows up. And, and the rest of the first half is, is Clark looking for something we already spent 20 minutes knowing, uh, where we spent 20 minutes learning. So for me, it, it really felt like the first half felt like kind of like a waste of time. I really wanted, like you said, I really wanted more of him growing up in Smallville. Um, I wish they kind of had gone with a straightforward narrative and played with that instead. Um, you, and, and I think uh, we have to go on this journey with him to feel for him. But right now, it feels like uh, it's pieced together and the whole film isn't really coherent enough as one film. Uh, it's, a, it's a good origin story. Um, Hell, it feels like the story didn't even start until the second half uh, when Zod shows up and on Earth. Um, so, so for me, it's like a 440-minute movie, and your story didn't start until the second half. It really feels like a, a waste of time. Um, but that's not to say that, uh, uh, you know, Harry, like you said, Harry Cavill is very good as, as Superman. If you, if you, he really looks the part, and he plays the part. I mean, he does his, his best with the material. Um, I, I think that Clark Kent is heroic, but I don't feel his need to become Superman because he's already the film shows him, you know, rescuing people and doing these, uh, generally being a very, um, a righteous dude, but, um, you never really feel like, okay, why do you have to put on a suit? Um, there's no reason for you to put on a suit. You can still do these, uh, as, as Clark Kent. Um, and the idea, you know, the whole, this no one esque woe is me. Uh, I'm a super, I have superpowers. Why, why, why? Um, thing this for this film it's like oh superman is here and therefore he brings us trouble it's like wait a minute so i know it's really no one asked and like it's really postmodern, you know to 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 doubt the idea of the superhero but um you know the film's already bloated enough i think with the whole origin story uh i, I don't i think Zack snyder knows how to carry as well as he should or he knows how to tell the story as well as you know, Nolan could. Even Nolan came up the story. You know, Snyder, you know, is still responsible for for the script uh, along with Dave Escort. So um, uh, I think that the story could have been already. I'm not sure if the the whole um, that Superman uh, 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 doubt thing should be even in there. Um, if the money poured into this, uh, you know, means there's a lot of good looking stuff. Buildings fall all around really pretty like and and, um, you know, it's really loud. And, you know, it's one of those things you have to see on a big screen anyway. Um, so so, you know, it's great spectacle. But 
um, it, it really feels like a been there, done that type of thing, you know. Um, it's, I'm not looking for like a reinvention of Superman or anything, but um, at least give me a solid origin story, you know, kind of like Batman Begins. I, I think it's not as strong as Batman Begins. Batman, you know, the whole reason the Batman trilogy or the Dark Knight trilogy works is that you had a very solid foundation with Batman Begins. You had a new director coming in and reinventing the entire style. And, and giving us a, a solid foundation. It's not the strongest film in the trilogy, but at the time, it felt like the best Batman film in a while. And that's what um, Man of Steel needed to be. Even if it doesn't reinvent the genre, it needed to be the best Superman film uh, to come in a while. And it is better than Superman Returns, but it, it's not really a solid foundation for a franchise, I think. Um, at, at least that's what I think. Um, still... You know, it's an expensive film, and it's really good-looking. And unfortunately, I had to see it in 3D because the 2D shows were all filled, and I would still say watch it in 2D. Um, but, you know, watching a nice, loud cinema, and uh, it's a good summer I mean, It's a fine summer film. Um, it's a little heavy, of course, as, as these Nolan-esque, uh, Nolan-esque superhero movies are. But um, I think it's an escapism piece, you know, it's, it's okay. Um it's very flawed, so I wouldn't even say like I wouldn't even say rent it or anything. It's not something that you enjoy as much watching on a small screen. So if you really have to watch it, watch it with a big screen experience, and um, yeah, I think it'll be fine. All right, <clears throat> so there you have it, folks. Uh, Man of Steel, of course, a lot of comparisons with the Man of Iron, uh, Iron Man, mm. and uh, who will end up uh, taking home the bigger box office uh, as we go well, forward. This is where this is where Marvel really wins wins the, how this is how Marvel wins the audience over right they have these these um the characters are strong but they don't take themselves too seriously while you know these this whole like, Nolan esque uh, uh, um and I think DC wants it to to differentiate that way is that you have these dark superhero with really heavy themes and if Nolan really is uh, DC wants Nolan to to stay on it's gonna be like this all the way to Justice League isn't it Yeah yeah and again this is the thing I mean. That I ask myself, even even with the, you know the, the way that Batman has been, sort of reimagined in the Dark Knight uh, trilogy, can can you see this character, you know, this Henry Cavill's version of Superman or Zack Snyder's version of Superman on screen, with a, you know, uh, a Nolan uh, Nolan version of Batman, will they work together? I'm not sure I would buy that. I mean. It just seems like it's two completely different, uh, you know, uh, different. Uh, why would these guys work together? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe a, a, a great script could, could bring them together. Um, but it just seems like they're of two completely different, different uh, eras and power levels and things that, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like I, was, I think I was discussing with the last Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises, right? Um, the whole end of Dark Knight Rises, you know that that whole thing that that's brought to bear in 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 Gotham and everything, the whole uh, big problem. I don't again, I don't want to spoil it if if nobody's seen it, but that whole thing is solved in three seconds in a world where this character exists, right? Because he's just in, psh, solves the problem, and he's out, psh, and it's done. Um, so you know, it's it, this has been always been the problem with this character is is that he's a game changer for you know a lot of the lesser powered kinds uh, kinds of uh, heroic stories. Um, 
But then again, who knows? Maybe maybe he's he's Gotham averse. He doesn't want to go to Gotham. I, I I think it's solid film, but I don't think it's a solid foundation for what DC wants to do in the future. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they, they might pull it off. We'll have to wait and see. All right. I'll display our bumper. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. The last time I hear that bumper. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the last time we'll uh, we'll play out the bumper. And, uh, you know, since this is the last episode, we kind of have to do a, a couple more things, you know, like the famous Michael Wong scream. <laughs> or, you know, maybe him telling us about his, uh, his uh, automobile. I have my own car! Yeah. Or just, you know, the... the at questioning things about life. Where's my Google? Yeah. Four years later, I still don't have my own car. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need a car in Hong Kong. Nobody does. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that to truly wrap things out, and that's not a play on words when I say that, we have no. to play this. No. But you run my internet, so I can't. Okay, forget it. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Damn you, Lee Kashe. Oh, this is gonna haunt me forever. <laughs> Kevin Raps, it's out there. It's on the internet. It will never die. Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah, I think uh, this is going to close things out. And um, I just have a little uh, little bit that I wrote that I want to kind of touch on as we end the show. Uh, I want to say that, uh, you know, originally this thing started out much like uh, the original review site that I used to do back in the 90s. Um, you know, East Screen, West Screen started out as a concept, as, as a part of a school project um, when I was uh, studying my master's here in Hong Kong. And, you know, over the past four years, it's really become a lot more than what I had originally envisioned. Um, I knew that the show was never destined to go on forever. Um, yeah, I kind of hoped we could squeeze out a couple more seasons. I think seven seasons is like the target for mm. TV shows in the States. Um but uh, again, as I said, we had a really good run, longer than some podcasts, but not quite as long as others. You know, uh, as our friend Michael Wong would say, you're pleased with the outcome, right? I'm pleased with the outcome. So <laughs> as a niche podcast, you know, we are a very niche topic. I knew that in terms of a following, we'd never have a great following. I mean, we're talking about current movies in Hong Kong and a lot about Hong Kong cinema, and that's not something that a lot of people are interested in. Um, and I never really took a strong look at the analytics, um, because I always thought, well, even if we just have a handful of people listening, that would be good enough for me. I wanted this to be more of a show that was about, you know, people talking about something they like. And if people had questions or comments or wanted to, 
you know, uh, just know where they could get film or anything related to Hong Kong cinema, that that would be sort of the basis for the show. Um, in fact, if anything, I'd say we were, I was really surprised by the numbers we ultimately did get, you know, fluctuating anywhere between upwards of a thousand listeners on episodes. Of course, the porn episodes were always the most listened to <laughs> episodes, you know, Sex and Zen 3D, I think is still our number one episode, maybe 33D Invader. Um, but that's the internet. What are you going to do? Um, so yeah, but, uh, you know, there are just so many people I need to thank, um, you know, first and foremost, Kevin you know, for originally agreeing to do this. This is, you know, we're not doing this for money. I know that some, there's some shows out there that put ads up on the site and they have advertising and stuff. And this is all stuff that I thought about initially doing. But then I thought, you know, this is not, I'm not doing this for money. Kevin's got a job. I've got a job. And this is just, you know, I don't want to distract people with ads and, and banners and stuff. <laughs> I didn't have a job when we started. Yeah, that's right. You were a student. You were, you were a student, but you have a job now. Yes, but, but you know, I've been getting those royalty checks. You haven't been getting those? Huh? Royalty? I've been, yeah, I've been oh. getting those royalty checks for years. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to recheck my contract. What's up? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find a person that I think uh, you can gel with and, you know, can bring a lot to the table to make up for your own deficiencies. And, I mean, aside from my fandom and a little bit of technical know-how, um, you know, I, there's just, you know, so much more that needs to be in the show. And that's what Kevin brought. He brought, you know, insights and news and, um, you know, discussions about things going on at festivals and all this other stuff that I think really made the show very, very well-rounded. And I appreciate him, you know, for all the, all the work he did and for sticking with me for as long as he did, because, uh, you know... It, if you're a podcaster, you know, you know, it's a thankless job, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we've had a really great dynamic, um, and his abilities complemented my own and really made up, um, for more than made up for my shortcomings. And so that's why, I, you know, I, as I said, East Screen, West Screen started as a team project, and I think it's best that it ends this way too. Um, so again, huge kudos and thanks to you, especially for your rap song. <laughs> Uh, also, I need to thank some of the many guests we've had on over the years, the co-hosts, the contributors, um, people who've participated. And, and this is a list that I'm probably going to leave somebody out accidentally, and I do apologize. But um, I want to say thanks to Tim Youngs, Shelley Chung, uh, William Chan, Rufus Duram, Wei Peng, Marco Spomberg, uh, Jay and Renee Valentine, uh, Ryan and Jennifer Ozawa, Casey Lau, Fernando Gross, um, Rob Gabers, Johnny Feisty, David Lamb, uh, of course, the magnificent Kenneth Brewerson and his huge network that uh, he has over there. I mean, the, the one solace that listeners to our show has is to know that there's still this great uh, podcast out there that focuses on Hong Kong cinema. Um, and of course, uh, big thanks to um, people who've had me on their shows um, as a result of this show, people like Patrick Beja, John Beck. Um, Fons Toinstra um, for, you know, letting me come on and be a guest with them. Um, and a special big thanks to two people in, in particular, Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com um, for, you know, just kind of motivating me and being an inspiration with regard to Hong Kong cinema with the work that he does over at uh, his site, lovehkfilm.com. And Scott Johnson, 
who was also a guest once on the show, but who through his own podcasting work kind of inspired me and continues to inspire me uh, to do audio work and, you know, do just creative work in general. Uh, of course, uh, many thanks directed, of course, to all our listeners for the continued support. Um, special thanks to those people who wrote in, who hang out with us in the chat room when we used to have a chat room, who left feedback or sent in mail. There are really so many people to mention, and my email archives are not that great, unfortunately. But um, just a special, special mention to a couple people, uh, Phil Gillan and Far East Film Guys for their regular Twitter, Twitter mentions uh, every Friday when they do their Follow Fridays. Um, Stephen Frost and Ayoto Kami for their support over on G+. Uh, of course, Hong Kong Dave, uh, <laughs> great fan, friend, and listener all the way from the UK. Uh, also a friend of the show, Sani Lung. Uh, Gary Lau, uh, Matt Seidel for coming in and hanging in with chat room talk and uh, you know talking with us over on Twitter. And I think the only person maybe who's gone through and actually listened to some of our film commentaries mm. uh, from time to time, and we do apologize for those. We apologize for virtual recall. Yes, seriously, seriously, for those terrible films. <laughs> um, and and to everybody else who just you know came in, popped into chat rooms, or submitted a question, or posted comments on the website or Facebook or an email, now we really thank you um, for all your support. And to anybody. I may have failed to mention directly my, again, my sincerest apologies. Um, you know, come to Hong Kong and I will treat you to a meal and a movie at the Dynasty. That is my bond. My word is my bond. Um, so, yeah. So, Kevin, any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I started, um, when I started my old blog back in uh, 2005, oh my God, that was really my start. Um, I didn't expect I would get as far as I have, um, and part of it, you know, I, I part of that blog was a, a weekly quote unquote podcast, meaning I record like an hour hour long clip in Audacity. I started reading out the news, and, and essentially it's kind of a news show, and that really was um, that was nothing. And when I compare when I got on this show, I realized how much more could be done, and that's really all because of, of, of Paul, your your technical expertise. You just gave me a chance to uh, you just gave me kind of a soapbox. To stand on, so to speak, um, to 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 say things. So it really is, is your work uh, that got us here, that got me here. Uh, I want to thank you for giving me the chance uh, to talk about uh, films. And now that you know, I am where I am. Of course, I'm not going to forget where I've been, and I will Don't never forget will. the little people. No, I mean no. Actually, the people I work with, they listen to 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 our show. Um, you know, at one, when, at one point they called it the, the official Film Business Asia podcast because we use so much of their news. Um, and that's a great thing. You know, it, it's, it's good to know that people listen and, and they recognize what we do. And, and um, it, it's sad that it comes to an end. But of course, it's not over. Uh, I will come back. I, you know, people, my voice will, will never be gone from the Internet, so to speak. I will be part of other shows, um, uh, just not as a reviewer. So, um it's not the end, but I want to thank, like like Paul said, I want to thank everyone who who, who commented, people who emailed in, uh, people wrote who, who drew sketches of us, um, uh, and uh, really appreciate the, the support, uh, including my own friends who listen to the to the show and you know kind of a silent, the silent people who who listen along. Um, it's been a really great run, and uh, I'm gonna really miss the show because it really was kind of it really been our weekly, our weekly habit. For the last four years, every Wednesday, I think, oh, I gotta record the show. I gotta record the show. I, 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 I planned my life around the show, and it's already seen, I think, 
This show is where live through free, free relationships, free girlfriends. <laughs> so this show has lasted longer than any of my real life relationships. I will tell you this. So, so it's something that I really treasure and uh, something I, I, I will always uh, remember. And um, I look forward to sharing the, 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 the uh, Skype stream or share a Skype conversation with you again, Paul. Absolutely. Well, it's been my pleasure, sir. sir and of, uh, you know, if we can go out with a positive note from uh, Lao Ching Wan and Louis Koo. So good. Yes, I know. So good. So there you have it. Um, so I think that's going to close things out with our... And I, I think I'm going to wrap things up with the full rendition of our current theme uh, from Rob Gabers of Schnauzer Studios. And simply say, for Kevin... And for myself, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you in the cinema. See you sometime again, everybody. East Screen, West Screen. Sweet.